Everyone, welcome to another awesome day with a struggle. I'm Sean Lee. And I'm James Park. We're here to discuss the reality of daily struggles and how it's a constant no matter where we are on our journey. Join us for honest conversations as we navigate life, business, and career challenges. Learn how to accept the struggles and how it's all about the mindset. This week, we talk a lot about money and how money drives a lot of the fears that we have. And we tie that into how we can start thinking about not acting or living out of fear and trying to figure out how to live and act out of love. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another week of... Struggles. (laughs) A week of struggles. But if people have been listening for the entire year that we've been recording you'll know that while we talk about struggles and it seems like a very negative thing, we want to normalize it. Struggles are normal. It is going to be part of life, whether you like it or not. And that's why we focus a lot on how we've overcome struggles that we've faced each week. Well, it's so funny you say that. You bring that up because Mink saw me like doing some stuff yesterday. I think I was like checking on like some hosting services and the domains and she's like, oh, I don't like that domain, (laughs) struggles.fm. I was like, that's the domain for our podcast. She's like, you have a podcast (laughs) named Struggles? I was like, yeah. (laughs) What do you think James and I do every single week? (laughs) She was like, yeah, it sounds so negative. I was like, you could see it that way or you could just see it as like the sun goes down. (laughs) You know, it happens every day. I don't like it, but it happens. (laughs) But as listeners can hear, I'm a little sick this week, a little under the weather mostly because I try to play golf in the rain. <laughs> I mean, it rarely rains. For anybody who is listening who is not from California, it rarely rains in Southern California, where James and I are. And this past week, it poured, which is great. Like, I, I actually enjoy rain. And so when I was looking at the weather report, I was like, all right, it's going to rain on Tuesday. Monday, there might be some breaks. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we had other plans because her brother was in town. So I was like, Monday's like the only day I'm going to get to golf. And I saw a break in the weather. I was like, all right, it's not going to rain till like 3 p.m. So if I start at 10, I should be done by then. At 2.30, it started raining. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. I was on like the 16th or 17th hole. I was like, well, fuck it. I might as well finish. Yeah, just finish. Yeah, but I think I got drenched and I got cold. and, And then Mink had a big test the next day on Tuesday, part of her boards for her specialty. And so Monday night, I was like, well, I'm just going to stay up and, you know, take care of the baby and whatnot so she can get some sleep and, you know, for a big four-hour exam. And so I think the combination of that, my body was just like, big fuck you. Like, yeah. <laughs> you're going down. So here I am. My biggest struggle this week was probably just overcoming sickness. But the funny part was nobody else got sick in the house. Like, literally nobody else is sick. <laughs> it's just me. That's awesome. Which is awesome. Yeah. But I think this week, I came back to grappling with my biggest struggle, which is just struggling with my purpose, my meaning, my purpose, my life. And I don't know, like something really hit me this week. And it was a conversation with a friend, which is always helpful in these times when you're struggling through something. It's just so helpful to reach out to friends and and catch up with people because they'll say something that just like honestly give you a different perspective. And the one thing that my friend told me was that he started a new business and he's a serial entrepreneur. He currently owns and runs like, I don't know, six different businesses, which is nuts. Whoa, that's crazy. He has 
different business partners for each of them. I don't know how he does it. I'm still trying to learn from him actually. But one of the businesses he's been wanting to launch because it's one of his like life mottos is called uh, Love Not Fear. And it's from his yoga teacher who told him, act out of love, not out of fear. Mm. And coupling that with a book I just finished, timing-wise was like perfect. I just finished Thich Nhat Hanh's book, The Art of Living. Do you know Thich Nhat Hanh? He's like a mm-hmm. Vietnamese Buddhist. Yeah, yeah, very famous guy. One of the things that he kind of ended the book on was like, you know, as you're going through struggles, he didn't say struggles, as you're going through suffering, how do you live in a, a good state, right? How do you have a good state of living? And one of the things was obviously practice gratitude, which we know, and that's sometimes hard to do because when you're emotional, the last thing you're like, fucking thankful. Yeah, I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for James. Yeah, I'm thankful I have a fucking mic, you know? So he's like, you know, obviously list down the things that you're grateful for, that you have gratitude for in this life. And then he also said, you know, list down a list of things that you feel upset about, that you're struggling with. And he said, just the act of listing it out sometimes puts it in perspective. And so I kind of put the two things into perspective. One was listing things out. And one was, you know, how do I act out of love, not out of fear? Mm-hmm. And what it helped me realize was that what I struggle with is purely self-created, which we've talked about, but it's so hard to realize how much suffering we create for ourselves. And that's the interesting thing about this podcast is that a lot of the struggles that happen to us, we create them. Yeah. They don't just happen. Like a lot of shit doesn't happen to us. Yeah, there might be stuff that might happen to us, right? But it's pretty far and few, in my opinion. A lot of things in our lives, a lot of things that, that I struggle with, you know, is self-created. So coming back to, for example, purpose. Why do I need to create the sense that I have this other purpose other than being a, you know, a dad right now, just being present, being present for my family? It's like, we have a three-month-old, right? And a two-and-a-half-year-old, he's actually almost three now. He's uh, two months away from being three years old. What's wrong with that purpose? Yeah. And I literally had to lay there this morning and be like, dude, what's wrong with just being present here? Why do I have to let my mind wander into like, oh, what am I supposed to be doing today? What could I be doing more of? I think a lot of our struggles are regretting of the past or anxiety for the future. 100%. I couldn't agree with that more. But also at the same time, the thing that's hard about that is if we are just in the present, of course we can't. Like, There's like things that people are going to be worrying about. You worry about... I think the most universal biggest concern is most people probably worry about money. Where are they going to get money from? And that creates just anxiety for the future. And that creates, I don't know, if you're looking back in the past, be like, oh, I wish I did this. I could have made more. I wish I saved more, yada, yada. And maybe that's where if you're in the present, you kind of need to just focus on what you can do in that moment. I think that's very difficult to do. The crazy thing is, I'm going to say this from an outsider perspective, right? As you were saying that, because I, I can't tell myself this enough, but hearing you say that, it just sounds like absurd. And it sounds absurd because I'm not criticizing you, James. I'm just saying like the fact that us as humans think that way, because money like doesn't make us any happier. You can have money and you can have all the security in the world and you can still be fucking miserable. Yeah, but I think it's a big concern for other people who don't have money. But it's only a concern if you make it a concern. That's what's interesting. Listening to like Thich Nhat Hanh, like, I'm not trying to say this from like a privileged position at all. I'm just like saying like, you know, when he says there are people that are monks, right? They have like very little concern for money or people that are 
farmers, like they're very little concern for money. What they worry about is like, can I sustain? Can I find enough food? Can I like grow enough food? Like, well, I have enough food. And that's not necessarily always tied to money. Like if you're a farmer, you don't need money to grow food. You just need to grow food. <laughs> you know? Mm, I don't know. No? I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. I mean, think of like expenses of, as a farmer or just anyone who's just thinking about sustainability, trying to make enough food. How do you grow food? You need water. You need irrigation. You need seed. You need fertilizer. You need time. You need like all these different things to actually be able to create or make food for themselves. I think if everyone could sustain from just making whatever on like a piece of small land, I don't think a lot of people would be that worried about it. But you know, like, think of like how much food you have to grow to be able to live off the land by yourself or like how much land you actually need. You have to own land. In the more land that you own, you have to be able to irrigate it more. You have to be able to have the equipment to actually farm whatever you're growing. Just because you have a, like a few cows and a pig and chickens doesn't mean like you have everything that you need. So I, I get what Thich Nhat Hanh was saying about if you don't worry about money, you don't need it. Like monks don't have concerns about like earthly whatever, but that's their decision. A lot of people don't have that choice. They have a family or they have parents they need to take care of. And it just becomes a struggle to have to make money. I agree. I think what this point is, or my, my point is that it's not that we don't need money. It's that us being concerned about money, is it productive to be worried about money? What I'm trying to get at is, I'll just give you a personal example. Like, like I sometimes like worry about like, should I be making more money? Should I go get a job? Should I like start a new business? Like, should I go make more money? And just that focus for me is like unproductive because I don't make money by just by thinking about making money. <laughs> like in reality is like we make money, right? We make a living by creating value, by focusing on like, how do we add value? How do we like create value? So that not only do we get money in return in exchange for our time, right? We get meaning out of it. For example, like, you know, let's go back to like farmers and bakers and whatnot. It's like a baker doesn't bake to make money. Sure, like making money is a byproduct, but he doesn't wake up every morning and he's like, I need to make money. I think they will wake up and be like, let me wake up and like do something I enjoy doing and like create some value that people want. In exchange, I get money. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I can see that. I can understand that. It's like semantics. Yeah, but I also think that there's a lot of people who they don't have the luxury to think like that. Some people just don't. Like, okay, for example, this whole baker and farmer thing. Someone likes to farm and say we're just farming just for the sake of it. And like a baker is baking awesome cakes and delicious cookies because he loves doing it and they get some value in return. If they are just doing that and they're able to sustain the life that they're living just from growing or creating the goods that they're making, that is great. At some point though, not everyone has the luxury to say that they are doing something and getting enough value in return to sustain a life that they're living. I agree with that. I think that's where people start to lose sight of being in the moment and starting to worry about things in the future. This is an interesting topic, actually, because this struggle, this type of struggle is, I've actually read about this before. This type of struggle is a byproduct of the Industrial Revolution as a starting point. 
because as we moved into the industrial revolution and now into the you know information age, you are very removed from the effect that your your work is having. Yeah, the product you're creating, it's far away. Right. That dissociation or that distance of seeing the value that you create disassociates like the meaning, the purpose, and the money. Yep. And so instead, the only thing you can focus on is the money. It's just like, well, that's the most like immediate thing, right? I go do this job, I get paid. But like, what am I doing, <laughs> you know, to earn this money? Like, how did I really contribute? And then I think that's where like the Industrial Revolution really started that dissociation because, you know, there's the cog in the wheel. Who's the author that wrote Homo Sapiens? Yuval Noah Harari. Yeah, and he he talked about how this even started because of farming, actually, because farming created excess, excess of food, and that allowed people to have extra, extra food, store extra food, create more, and create this society where some people had more than others. Hmm. And that was the beginnings of this social status and the difference between having enough to sustain life, to go by your day-to-day versus wanting more and more, hoarding more, making more money, or like owning more food, being able to trade for more valuable goods. And I think he mentioned in the book about how he thinks that farming was actually the start of, not the downfall, but this like age of wanting more. Because now some people had the opportunity to have more. Yeah, you could store value. Yeah. Not to say that we can like change anything, go back in time and not farm, right? Because farming, it really did give us the ability to populate. Not only populate, but I think one of those other arguments is that it, it freed up time for other people. Yeah, to do other stuff. Instead of everybody having to find food for other people to like go do other stuff, like go invent things. It really started the advancements of the human race. Of civilization. Yeah. It's interesting because, yeah, it is a double-edged sword. And I think that, you know, coming back to our conversation about money, though, our concern about money, I think it's definitely a valid concern thinking about, like, how am I going to eat? But short of that, let's say you make enough to, like, put a roof over your head and food on the table. And then it's just like, like, how much concern is too much concern? I guess that's my question. It goes back to, actually, what do you want? How do you want to live? Yeah. Because you're right. If you want to live like a monk, like Thich Nhat Hanh, you don't need any money. You can just go somewhere, go into a temple, become a monk. But most people don't want to live like that. Actually, I don't know. Who knows what people want to live like? (laughs) For me, growing up, I wanted to live like a sports star, like Michael Jordan, this luxurious, awesome life. And that is the creation of wanting money, Mm. right? wanting money, not necessarily creating value, right? Michael Jordan, any sports star, a lot of times they're driven for playing the sport isn't because of money. Maybe it evolves to that over time, but initially it's the love of the game. Even for for you, for a lot, a lot of entrepreneurs, yeah, maybe bankers and finance people or consultants, a lot of people, sales reps could be driven by money, but Maybe a lot of people are actually driven by, like yourself, you might be driven by the excitement of creating something new, this like entrepreneur world that a lot of people want to live in. They want to create value. 
But a lot of times value is tied to how much you get paid for it. And so in a way, you're still driven by money. I don't want to like mix the two because I think a lot of people can just focus on a business and be excited about growing a business. But it's just hard when everything of creating value, creating something interesting, like even like YouTube or TikTok or anything social media related, the only way you get validation is, is from clicks and that leads to money. And that's how you know that you're doing something valuable. I don't have this aversion towards money, but I had a stark realization about money. And I want to hear your opinion on this. There was a big lottery this week, right? $2 billion fucking lottery, right? Yeah, Eric Hanna and I, we bought tickets the night that the winning number got selected. So we missed out on it. Mink and her brother bought some tickets. And, and I was like, oh, shoot, I didn't buy any tickets. And I was like joking with Mink. I was like, we're going to split the winnings, you know? Like, she's like, no. Like, yeah, you don't get any of it. I'm like, wait, but that's not how marriage works. And then we we're just joking about it. Anyway, the point was that like, I then thought about it because people always say like people who win lotteries will lose all their money within like a few years or they will just be fucking miserable. Yeah. Like, why is that? If I got $2 billion tomorrow, would I be miserable? And it got me really thinking, I was like talking to Mink about it. I was like, frankly, you know, fortunately for us, like, I don't think it would make a big difference in our life. Like I wouldn't live very differently. Like I feel like I have the luxury to do or eat or buy a lot of things I want to do and go to the place I want to go. So it's like, how much more different could $2 billion make? And that's a very privileged statement to make. And it got me thinking like, why would it be for somebody who isn't as privileged to like for that much money or even like, let's say $100 million or $10 million to literally ruin their lives? And part of my speculation in the shower, there's a shower thought. <laughs> Let me preface this. I, I was also reading a bunch of articles about how like, they're like warning, if you do win this money, go get a lawyer, right? Like have the lawyer claim the money like so that your name's out public. And tell no one. Yeah, don't tell anybody. And I was just like, wait, why? I wouldn't tell people. But that's a harsh realization, James, that like it wouldn't make much difference for me and my circle of friends. I don't know. You don't know, man. I know, I know, but, but hear me out. This would be for like the average American though. Think about it. Like they wouldn't be able to trust their entire circle, right? Even their family. Like that's how much getting that much money would suck. You would be so isolated. You would literally all of a sudden become isolated. Like that much money would isolate you. Versus if Bill Gates won a billion dollars or Elon, like who the fuck cares? His entire circle of friends are already billionaires. It doesn't matter. Right. So clearly, it's not a billion dollars that changes or ruins somebody's life. It's what are the circumstances surrounding your current life that doesn't allow for that to be a successful outcome? You see my point? That's what like really got me was like, it's not just about having a lot of money. The whole point of like earning the money and being successful is that then you rise up with a bunch of people. You're surrounded by people who are similarly successful or like, you know, I think it's the quote of, I don't remember who said this, but I read that as you become more successful, your circle of friends actually shrinks because you start to only really, really relate or be able to talk about other people who are in the same status as you. Yeah, but at least you still have a circle of friends that you would trust. Some people might not. No? Maybe Elon Musk doesn't have any friends. Maybe he only has business partners. Hmm. I think even there are rappers 
that talk about this, like logic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know logic. He talks about how at some points, a lot of people, a lot of his family discussions or members, his, his conversations always end up with them asking him for money. And I don't know, man. I, I, I'm not in a position of being able to say that I don't want to win the lottery. I think if I did win, it would change my life. For the better or for the worse? That's what I've been pondering. How much money, like there's got to be a sweet spot. It just depends. Like for a monk, his life would not change because he doesn't need very much. A monk wouldn't buy a lottery ticket anyway. <laughs> yeah, a monk wouldn't buy a lottery ticket. He has no desire or want to buy a lottery ticket. <laughs> yeah, but let's say that there was a, a family, a struggling set of parents who have three or four kids. They live in somewhere, middle America, and the dad is going through this recession. Inflation are, is high. The cost of food has risen, but their salaries have stayed the same. For someone like him, a million dollars would change his life. I don't disagree, but a billion dollars. It will change his life too. Yeah, it would change his life too. But maybe he ends up being one of those people who have never had money before, so they immediately lose it. They don't know how to handle it. So they go out and they buy everything that they want to buy right away and they burn through the cash or, or go into debt because they don't realize that a billion dollars doesn't mean that you have a billion dollars. It actually means that you have, what, 500 million spread out over 40, 50 years. So you only get $100,000, $200,000 a year or something. I have no idea. I don't know how winning the lottery works, but <laughs> I know you have like options, right? You can have the option of getting lump sum or like 40% or something right away, or you can have 60% of it spread out over four years, 40 years. I think most people take on the lump sum and want it right away. But then with that amount of money, you have no idea what it is that you can and cannot do, right? Having never grown up with it. It's like, I'm trying to think of when I first got a paycheck, my first real job paycheck, you know, my first salary out of college was actually, it was like nothing. It was like $35,000, something like that, working as a paralegal. And then if I worked overtime, I got up to like 50 or 60K a year, but I didn't know any better back then. They don't teach you this stuff in college where they totally should. I think for NFL or like big sports stars players, they, they have like a team. They have like um, money management people who like have to tell you, hey, you're getting a salary of X amount now. You should invest this. Yeah. Yeah. You should diversify your money, blah, 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 and not spend it all on alcohol and, and going out, which is what I did. I spent most of my money. Yep, same here. And I think most kids kind of go through that. So like, imagine that's your life. And that's why a lot of people who win the lottery, who actually probably have been buying tickets forever, right? So they're still just in debt anyways, but they get this huge amount and don't know what to do with it and don't realize, right? I think that's why a lot of people, like the people that you read about are the ones that it devastate their lives. But I bet you there's a group of people who win the lottery do everything right. Don't tell anyone. We never hear about them, but it changes their lives. It has to be at least 1%. Everything you said, like that is like what we hear, but that's not what I'm trying to say. Like what I'm trying to say is like, does it change it for the better? I don't know for everyone, but I think for some people, yeah. I don't think it does. There's no way that can change your life for the better. Like you can have all the discipline in the world, but you will be the loneliest person in the world. That kind of money makes you very lonely. 
again, I'm not saying that that's a case for a million dollars. I'm saying that's a case for like anything over like some crazy amount over a hundred million dollars that you would win. I think it is very isolating because how many people could you trust to share that information with? Just to your point about like logic about these stars, it changes your social circle. It changes your environment. Even if you didn't go out and buy like a mansion, a mega mansion, it's just like you would be fucking paranoid to live in your current house, you know, with that kind of money. Why? Okay, let's go back to the example of the family who lives in, they like their home where they're living, but they were struggling to make, put food on the table. Now, all of a sudden, and let's say that this guy and his wife, they're super smart. They didn't tell anyone. They don't go out and buy a fucking Ferrari or a boat all of a sudden or upgrade to a mansion. And let's say they just continue to live their lives, but put better food on the table and have the luxury of buying like more things. But James, just by you saying that, buying more things. Yeah, like I'm just saying like stuff for the kids. What are they going to buy? Like more food, better food, healthier food. Right. But here's the thing, like as you buy more things, you don't think people are going to notice that you're buying more things and all of a sudden you have a boat. I'm talking about like food, sustainable stuff. But that's what I'm saying. But then this is like, you're basically telling me that this family's going to win a billion dollars, but continue to spend like 40K a year. (laughs) No, I think they would go on, I don't know, like a trip or something, but. And that's exactly what like I was reading. I was like, don't like go on crazy trips all of a sudden. Don't quit your job. Yeah. So what if they do it in a year or two or just like all of a sudden they're, they're doing a little better. So I think the big problem here is that you and I, in this sense, we are entitled and we cannot think in a position that someone else is going to be in. No, no, no. That's not my point. My point is how you're idealizing this is that they will be able to cap their spending to even 100, 200K a year when you win $100 million. Forget a billion dollars, just $100 million. You're telling me they, like, they will be sensible enough to just spend 100000 a year, 200000 a year. If they spend anything over 200000 a year, like their life will be dramatically different. If I gave you a million dollars for my utility to spend it, like you have to think of a shit ton of ways to spend that money, you know, where you would spend it in a way that doesn't show. Like that'd be really tough. Yeah, I think it's hard, but I, I still think that it's, there's going to be some people who can be smart about it. Regardless of smart, James, if I gave you $10 million to spend for the next year, it'd be very difficult for you to spend $10 million without it showing. You know what I'm saying? And, and what I'm trying to get at is that's what the lawyers are all saying. It's like, if it shows, it will change your life because then people will notice, your friends will notice. Like, they'll be like, whoa, where are you getting all this money from? Like, how are you able to like eat steaks fucking every single night and like go to Aruba like every single week? Like, yeah, I, I get that. But why is that a, like a bad thing for them? Why is it that their life changes for the worse? It changes for the worse because the moment it becomes public, which inevitably will, unless you're able to spend 100K a year. Like you're just like, you know what? I want a billion dollars. I'm just going to spend 100K a year. Unless you're able to do that, what you'd be like, well, what the fuck do I do with the other 999 million? Yeah. So then let's say that this guy is smart. He only spends 100K a year, just does the bare minimum, right? And then invests all the rest of it for his three or four kids to go to like good colleges and have, you know, whatever. Okay. All that. Let's say 100K a year times 50 years. That's $5 million for 50 years. Yeah. 
So if you won 10 million bucks, that's it. 10 million is a different story. We, we got to like figure out what, what we're like saying. Like $10 million for this family, like I totally agree with you. Like I think that's like reasonable. Their life will improve for the better without like going too crazy. People can manage that. So what you're saying is that there is a certain amount of money that will change someone for the worse. And that's what I'm trying to figure out. Because I, I do believe there's a certain amount of money that, like you're saying with logic, like you're saying with like NBA star, like we're saying with billionaires like Elon Musk or like, you know, anybody who wins a billion dollars right, in the lottery, there's no way that can like make your life better. There really is no way. So you think that winning the lottery, a billion dollars, you think that it's always going to be worse off for that person? I think so. And I'm, I'm telling you this, not because we're trying to debate about people willing lottery. I don't give a fuck about the lottery. Our conversation started out with like our concern for money, but for how much money? You can't just say concern for money. Okay, maybe it's this. Maybe the amount of money that you make is tied to the amount of value or people that you can help. What if it's that? Or the amount of work that you put into it? Let's say that someone, the same guy, right? Going back to this family guy with a family who is barely making ends meet, but he was able to work hard enough. And at some point in his life, all of a sudden his invention or something he did, some value he created, the work he put into it manifested into getting a billion dollars. Would that be for the worse or would that be better because he was able to earn it? That's a different conversation. What I'm trying to figure out is like, I know this changes per period or decade or century, but like how much money is too much money? Yeah. How much money is too much money? Yeah. I can earn a billion dollars like Bill Gates and just give away 90% of it at death. My wills rights that like 95% is going to go to charity. 5% goes to kids. But it's like, bring it back to us because we do have an obsession with money, like even me. Right. But it's like, at what point is enough enough? And one number that came to mind for that I have with a lot of, especially my MBA friends, is like, honestly, 250K for a family post tax, I think is like plenty. You can like travel two, three times a year, right? You can live comfortably. You, have, you can eat healthy food. You have insurance, you have savings and whatnots. And anything over that, are you just killing yourself just to make more money that doesn't bring you any more stability, happiness, or joy? I question that. And I think about this because as I'm thinking about building businesses, it's like, what am I doing this for? Right. As you progress in your career and you make more money, like at a certain point, be like, you're going to, you know, let's say you become like this like insane salesperson making like $10 million a year. It's like, well, you know how that's going to play out if you don't like watch it. And it's like, you're like, what the fuck am I doing? I can't even spend $10 million a year. <laughs> it's like, Sure, you can go make $100 million, go buy a boat. It doesn't make your life any better. And, and it's like, what is that magic number? And what is that number for like a single person versus like a family? You know, I think the most successful people in this world have figured that out. They're just like, this is how much I need to like live the life that I want to live, that I want to live. It's having enough. They've defined what enough is. Maybe that's what it is, is you have to figure out in your for your own life, what is enough? Yeah. And I think the biggest struggle is being able to define that because we all want more. Many times we fall into this trap is like, it's never enough. Yeah. Nothing's ever enough. Right. 
And that's what I like, literally had to like slap myself in the face in the mirror the other day. I was like, dude, you had two fucking kids, super fucking healthy, you know, like a boy and a girl. Like a lot of people wish they have a boy and a girl, like one of each, right? And it's like, what else do you want? <laughs> like, you know, why are you so fucking miserable, Sean? Yeah. You know, like go spend that time and like go help other people. <laughs> like stop driving yourself crazy. It's this whole uh, coming back to a year of what we talked about being rooted in purpose. What is your purpose of life? Kind of how you started this conversation. And maybe if you have a very clear focus, you'll end up finding out what is enough for you. But then the, that's the other thing. I think the other hard part about being human is our deep desire to want more. And this ties into our conversation last week is that our deep desire to want more has a lot to do with comparison and has a lot to do with like comparing myself to somebody else, right? Versus comparing myself to me. And that's something that I keep catching myself. So, you know, tying it all back to what I was saying about, you know, acting out of love and not out of fear. An example of acting out of fear, which gives me a lot of anxiety and causes me struggle is that, oh, like, what if like, you know, James is more successful and doesn't respect me. That's a fearful thought. What if my like MBA buddies like excel more and their businesses grow more and, and they don't want to be friends with me anymore? That's acting out of fear. Like these are the kinds of stories though that I tell myself, you know, mm -hmm. that I think are positive and they drive me and push me, but they don't. They absolutely don't. Versus what's a thought of love? Like, oh, how can I be more present for my friends? How can I be more present and supportive? How can I live a purpose-driven life where, like you're saying, like I'm doing things that help people that then in turn make some money? And it's this fearful way of thinking that caused me a lot of anxiety. So one of the things I, I've resolved this week pretty sternly is that, you know, I told myself to catch myself being anxious is to have less anxiety. And when I catch myself being anxious to try to nab at what that fear is that's causing that anxiety. I'll give some concrete examples here, like money, right? When I'm anxious about money, I'm like, what is the fear driving that? Is the fear like we're not going to have enough food on the table? No. Is the fear that we can't pay the bills? No. Is the fear that I can't do the things I want to do? No. <laughs> I'll find some other fucking hobby, you know? Is it a fear that like I'll lose respect? Is it a fear of what people think of me? I can't make more money, so I'm a failure. Ah, that's what it is. You know, does thinking or living in this fear help me actually be productive? No, it doesn't. So it's like, I'm just like, all right, stop being anxious about that, Sean. Why are you so anxious about like what people think of you when it's just imaginary? Nobody's fucking thinking anything of you. Everybody's living their fucking lives. Like nobody has time to think about you, Sean. <laughs> yeah. Everyone goes through that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But stopping that anxiety. Yeah. That's not what everyone can do. Unrealistic story. And that's what I'm saying. It's just like, when I'm really down and out about something, I'm just like, what is the fear that's driving this? depression? What is the fear that's driving this? And again, it's because of this whole like love, not fear thing. It's like, how can I stop acting out of fear and start acting out of love? And I, same buddy, the same entrepreneur, he recommended this book called uh, A Course in Miracles. Never heard of this before. Apparently it's like another book that was popular <laughs> that we never heard about. But it's called A Course in Miracles Made Easy. And the whole entire premise starts out pretty preachy about God and whatnots. And you know, I'm not very religious myself, but but I powered through it, the first two chapters, three chapters. And um, he basically told you like, the entire premise of this book is to figure out how to live, act out of love and not out of fear. Okay. And I was like, awesome. 
give me more. But how do I just take that simple premise and, and try to practice it for X amount of time or forever if I can? Because hmm. I think love, with loving what is and practicing that, it helped me practice loving what is with people, with other people. It allowed me to be more patient with other people and situations, but it didn't help me internally. Because when I think about my situation, there's nothing wrong with my situation other than, you know, from the outside. But from the inside, I'm just like, dude, I'm fucking lost. I can't love this. I don't love this right now. <laughs> I don't love it. I don't love any part of this. <laughs> I agree. Right? But if like James wants to be mad at me, it's like loving what is. Right? I can figure that out. I can, you know, I'll be patient with him. I can't be patient with myself. And this is just something new that I'm, I'm testing out is, all right. What is the fear that's driving this? And how can I do something out of love for myself or for the world? Thoughts? I'm with you. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have an answer for this. I often wish that it was just easier to live. It sounds like life would be much better if you can act out of love instead of fear. Maybe it stems from early childhood. Maybe a lot of us are raised to act out in fear or just a a lack of resources, or always wanting more. And so a lot of our behaviors are are stemmed and patterns of life comes from growing up in a certain way. And now as adults, we're trying to change our behaviors. We're trying to change and break the patterns that we've been in, break the loop or the cycle or whatever that you're stuck in. I don't know if acting out of love instead of fear is going to be the right method for everybody. It does seem like if you can do that, it would be a much better way to live. Yeah, I agree. I'll report back. I'm pretty hopeful about it. <laughs> I just want to be less anxious at the end of the day. I have this like terrible habit of like biting my nails. And I think this week I resolved, I was like, I resolved to stop it. I know I can. I, I did it for like a week or two before. I do it every time I'm anxious. Maybe it can be a trigger now. Whenever you're biting your fingernails, you can go into, oh, what am I anxious about? You're absolutely right. It is absolutely my trigger now. I'm just like, when I do it, like, what, what am I being anxious about? Because my anxiety just like leads down these like spirals. It just, it just makes things worse. It never makes anything better. I get that sometimes people have like concerns about things and it like protect something, like prevent something bad from happening, right? Just like my anxieties, they don't do anything good for me at all. They don't make me any more productive. It just makes me hermit more and retreat more. Be in your head more. We have to act. Whenever we're anxious about something, we just have to act. Out of love. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can't just act. You have to act out of love. Because if you act out of fear, you're still fucked. Yeah. Let's try that. Maybe next week we can talk about what it means to act out of love versus acting out of fear. Let's think about that. Yeah, I like that. All right, y'all. Well, thank you all for tuning in this week. Thanks for listening, everyone. 